The last concert that Elvis ever played was at Market Square Arena in Indianapolis, Indiana on June 26, 1977. And my mom actually went to that show. I remember her going with my aunt and on the days leading up to it, they were just all excited that they were gonna finally get to see the King. And Elvis was a huge presence in our house when I was a kid. My dad and my mom both loved Elvis, loved everything about him. I remember my mom came back from that show and man, she was like a 13 year old schoolgirl. She was so excited and so happy about it and talked about it for as long as I could remember afterwards. But Elvis died on August 16th, 1977, just a few weeks after that concert. And I always remember how I found out. I was coming home from school and I got off the school bus and I walked up the driveway. I was about to walk in the front door of the house and I heard my mom inside crying. And I was confused by it a little bit, so I paused. And I remember I walked in and I saw my mom sitting in front of the television sitting there crying. I looked up at the TV and I remember the reporter saying, Elvis Presley was found dead today in his Memphis home. Hi friends, this is Otis Gibbs and you're listening to Thanks for Giving a Damn. I'm sitting here in my living room in East Nashville. This is a personal journal. This is a bit of an experiment. I like to say right up front that I haven't the slightest idea what I'm doing, but I decided to do it anyway. And this show was founded with the idea that there are only two people in art that matter. There's the creative individual and the person experiencing it. And everything else is an artificial filter. This is a way for me to share things with you guys without any filters whatsoever. My guest this week is Reggie Young. Simply put, Reggie is one of the greatest guitar players that have ever lived. You can find out everything you need to know about Reggie at reggieyoung.org. I've talked before about a list that I made when I first started doing these shows. It was a wish list of people that I would like to have on this show. Right up at the top of that list, maybe the very first name was Reggie Young. I was really excited when I was in Amsterdam and I saw an email from someone asking if I would like to have Reggie on the show. And I just jumped at the opportunity. I'm not even sure where to start with Reggie Young. He's played on thousands of recording sessions. He's played on all-time huge hits like Son of a Preacher Man, down in the boondocks, the letter, Sweet Caroline. He's the guy playing that beautiful guitar part on Dobie Gray's Drift Away. Luke and Bach, Texas, Poncho and Lefty, always on my mind. Good time Charlie's got the blues. I could go on for the next 15 minutes naming huge hits that Reggie's played on. He played on over 120 top 40 hits just between 1967 and 1971. He just finished his first ever instrumental album It's called Forever Young, and I couldn't recommend it enough. It drips of greasy, dirty Memphis soul. You can find out at reggieyoung.org, and I believe you can listen to it on all the streaming outlets. 
But Reggie was nice enough to invite me into his home in Leapers Fork, Tennessee. He was just wonderful. He let me play his guitar that he played on so many of these great hits. Uh, let me poke around his amplifiers, and I really enjoyed sitting and listening to Reggie's stories. On this particular episode, we're going to talk about the sessions when Elvis came into American Sound Studios in Memphis and recorded with the Memphis Boys. Reggie shares all his memories of that. There's at least one other episode that I have in the can that will come out down the road with Reggie, and he actually showed interest in doing a few more. I don't want to bother him too much, but I'm more than happy to sit underneath the learning tree and listen to Reggie's stories anytime he wants to. This was a huge thrill for me, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Here's Reggie Young. I heard him when he came out with uh, That's All Right Mama, and he was bringing, uh, bringing his record to the radio station KWEM in Memphis, and he to get him to get him to play it, you know. And he came in and uh, well, here's a record of mine. Said, Would, could you play it? And, and they did. And anyway, we uh, <clears throat> we talked, and I was with a friend of mine. And I remember we were downtown Memphis, and so we walked down the street, down Main Street to uh, Cress's, a dime store. And we walked in, and uh, there was a girl behind the counter selling uh, rings and. Little cheap rings and stuff, you know. Elvis, and he bought he bought a ring. That's what it was. I don't know. He didn't pay much for it, and uh, and put it on her finger. Said, "Now we're engaged." <laughs> <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder if she still remembers that. <laughs> well, I was involved in the studio for years in Memphis, uh, American Studios. Some of his people, the like our studio manager Marty Lacker was uh, Elvis's friend, part of that mafia that Elvis had. Anyway, and George Klein used to hang out down there a lot at our studio. Anyway, uh, in Red West, Elvis had some time booked out in California, and Hal Blaine, the drummer out there, got sick. So they gonna have to, he, he was going to cancel the dates. It was Marty Lacker, I think, that said that if uh, instead of Counseling those days in California, why don't you come to Memphis and record? He hadn't been back, you know, in years. And he hadn't had a hit in about eight years. So uh, he said, okay, I'll try it. And <laughs> Colonel Tom, I don't think, was too happy with it, but he wasn't there, so it didn't make any difference. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he came in with all his entourage and... Uh, I, I never will forget it because we'd been recording everybody you could think of to get impressed by someone, you know, after all that. And anyway, the back door opened to this funky little studio in American that I, at, in Memphis. Back door opened and then walked Elvis. We all, <laughs> I remember I was standing there and I backed up a step or two. I said, whoa, that's a king. <laughs> we all... I mean, I, I was surprised at my my reaction because he hadn't he hadn't had record. In, I think it was eight years he hadn't had a big record, and he came in and had all his people with him. He had, I don't know, eight or nine people, people hung around him, you know. 
he would go to light a little cigar, and uh, there'd be about seven or eight lighters there. <laughs> anyway, everybody said hello and blah, 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 and talk. When we got down to uh, recording, the, uh, Hill and Range Publishing Company in uh, Nashville had brought the songs down with. They already picked the songs they wanted to do. That's what they wanted to do in L.A. And uh, Elvis played the first one. Back then, it was, it was acetate, you know, playing on a turntable. And he played the first one, and uh, he looked at me and said, do you like that? And I said, no, not really. <laughs> and uh, he asked Bobby Wood, the keyboard player, said, uh, you like that? And he said, man, that's awful. <laughs> you know. And uh, then Felton Jarvis called us off to the side and said, hey, we've got all the material picks and don't make waves, you know. I said, well, yeah, I've just been honest with him. Anyway, he had heard in the ghetto and suspicious minds, Chip's moment, that studio owner and producer, played him some of those tracks. Anyway, this guy uh, in a suit came in with Elvis, and he was—he he got moment off to the side and said, "If we do any outside material other than what we brought, then we got to have publishing on it." And uh, oh, I knew moments, and he didn't—he didn't like that very well. And he said, uh, "Moment told me, he said, well, I'll tell you what, that we have a reputation for cutting it records.' Said if you don't want to do that, then why don't you just..." Take Elvis and y'all leave. <laughs> anyway, they got, that got back to Elvis, and Elvis wanted, wanted to record this. So he made them leave. And it was just Elvis, the band, there's five of us, Felton Jarvis and uh, Chip Smolin. And uh, we we started, we did uh, In the Ghetto, I think, was the first song, and... Was Mac Davis there? Yeah, Mac pitched the song live. He didn't have a demo of it, or that's the way he pitched songs. So he sang and played it to Elvis. Yeah, and Elvis liked it. Yeah, he loved it, and I played the same guitar part that he did. So uh, it was easy for me. <laughs> Other than when we did it, I, I think uh, it's just Elvis and acoustic guitar, and, and I was scared to death. <laughs> And because I, oh, I'm with Elvis, my goodness, you know. But then everything was overdubbed. So when you're doing In the Ghetto, mm -hmm. are you reading charts? Uh, yeah, we other, some that we wrote ourselves, you know. These weren't the Nashville number system? No, well, it was a number system. that We t we wrote them ourselves. When uh, Mike sang it, we'd write it down. And was it expected that you guys would throw in ideas for the arrangement? Yeah, absolutely. That's, we were sort of known for that at, at American. We've been trying to become the singer's band, and we try to do different stuff for different artists, you know. And uh, anyway, Elvis loved those songs. He went, Suspicious Minds wound up being a 40 million seller <laughs> in this little funky place <laughs> with Elvis. It's a small room. It was at the corner of Thomas and Chelsea, which is a busy intersection in Memphis. Many times we had to stop recording because the trucks, there was a light there, and the 
there were big uh, trailer trucks that come by and stop, you know, and the engine was rolling and all that. Of course, we'd have to stop and start over again, you know. <laughs> so that's what's going on outside. Studio was funky. I mean, really funky. There was a restaurant next door that they had closed down. I guess city rats. <laughs> you know, they 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 around the garbage cans out there. Well, they they cleaned all that up. Well, the rats came in the studio, and <laughs> whatever's came in, they were in the in the rafters, and you, we could look up there and hear them and see them. You know, we didn't want to say anything to Elvis or anybody. <laughs> but that was part of the the studio. It just it's just funky place. It, it wasn't anything like it is in Nashville, uh, you know, studio wise. But it worked. And uh, I had my guitar set there for, oh, I don't know, seven or eight years in the same place. If you walked in, you would never know it was a studio. Not really. Well, I guess you would, but not nothing like in in Nashville, you know, the Slick thing or New York or somewhere. How big was the main room? It's probably 20 by 20. Had a restroom in the corner. (laughs) (laughs) I'm guessing there was a lot of bleed over between tracks also. Yeah, yeah, we had, of course, things were baffled off uh, pretty pretty good, but... Uh, what were the closest instruments next to you when you were recording? Hammond organ, but it was sort of out in the middle of the room, and the drums were on the other side of the room, so it didn't bother, you know, it didn't bother recording too much. And the keyboard was baffled off. They sort of got a replica of it at the... Musicians Hall of Fame here in Nashville. They bought the baffles and did the paint, you know, where it looked like the studio it did. So where's Elvis? Is he standing in the room with He's you? He's next to the keyboard, close to the where the where this uh, uh, board is. But he's baffled off, and he goes in the, in the, behind the baffle, and you have to pull the baffle together so. To stop all the leakage, you know. And were most of his vocals on the floor? Yeah, yeah. It's the and, record sounds the Memphis record sounds so alive and so much yeah. uh, energy to it. It's my favorite Elvis record. If I want to pull out a, an album, <laughs> that's the one I put on. Wow. Yeah, he was he was we was all part of a band when we got that. We worked it up on the floor. There was Tommy Cogbill was a bass player. Let me go around. Bobby Wood played piano. Gene Chrisman was a drummer. Bobby Emmons was a, a keyboard player, which was an organ mostly. Who am I leaving out? Nobody knew me. <laughs> and uh, so we cut basic tracks, and then they probably overdubbed a lot of stuff here in Nashville. Or When people went to record... With you guys, they did it because they wanted the sound that you guys were bringing. Yeah, they weren't looking for a generic situation. No, because no, no. they could they could have done it a lot cheaper staying here instead of coming to Memphis, you know, and having to pay to a hotel room and all that. <laughs> well, after he got rid of the uh, yes man <laughs> when they came in, he was a real human being. Well, before, if he came in, he could say, if it was sun shining outside, you could say it was raining, and they'd go get their raincoat, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we didn't try to 
say stuff to please him. And anyway, we just started talking. We are talking about it when he went to Humes High School and different clubs around Memphis. And, and he used to come around clubs and sing different club bands. And he'd sing Marty Robbins songs. So Elvis would sing El Paso. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that first day, I don't know, we recorded all week and wound up with 30 songs. But we'd just be sitting around and he would, he would say, yeah, you remember this song? And most of us did. And, oh, yeah, okay. So we'd just go out and try it. And, and he looked real good. He, he was very, he wasn't doing drugs or nothing. He was in real good shape. It was all day and all night. He didn't come in until late, late in the evening. And then we'd work all night long during, you know, the sleepy hours, two, three, four o'clock in the morning. Then he'd go home and sleep. Well, we talked about the arrangements that you guys would come up with. Some of the arrangements are really, really wonderful. Like oh, wow. I think of Kentucky Rain, how it all collapses right before he sings with the rain in my shoes. That is just beautiful. Oh, yeah. Is that just something the band would just talk about and come up with? It just happened. We just played it. It's one of those things. You say it's a magic thing happened, but uh, that's the kind of way that the band worked. We listened to lyrics a lot. Instead of just sitting there playing guitar and something, we'd like to know what we were recording, you know. Yeah, that was a good song. It felt, it felt real good. Scotty Moore had traded his blonde Super 400 Gibson to Chip Smolin for a set of keyboard bells. So that guitar was in the studio. And uh, I said, well, I'm going to play it on Elvis record. It seemed like we sent it off to Michigan, Kalamazoo, I believe, for Gibson and had them go through it and make it where it was playable. So I, that's what I played on most of his stuff. I played sitar on some of it. I used Scotty's old guitar. I thought that was that would be kind of kind of neat. What were you plugging into? I had a Fender. It might be the same. Deluxe reverb. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's a nice little. Uh, <laughs> so, this particular amp was on some of the Elvis tracks. Yeah. This on Suspicious Mind, or I don't know which one. I don't remember. No. How about this son of a preacher man? Is this the amp you played? Uh, Probably so. Yeah. Wow. I just remember it was a heavy amp, and I didn't have to haul it around. <laughs> it stayed in the same place all the time, and. Would you put anything in between the guitar and the amp back then? Any effects pedals? Or? No, not much. I didn't use much. I don't. This old black Herzog unit, they call it. it. It has one tube in it that you can crank up and get a little distort, distortion in it. And but I didn't use much distortion. When you were using your deluxe reverb amp, would you use the reverb in that, or yeah. would you? They would later put it on. No, I used it. I always use a little bit of it just to make it uh, pleasing to my ear, you know. The Elvis in Memphis album has a great reverb on the whole thing where there's just a beautiful, are those like old plate reverbs or In the studio, they were, yeah, they were plate reverbs, yeah. They were out in the back, behind the studio. There was a room out there and they had 
the chamber out there. I think I read somewhere, I don't know if this is true, you can tell me, but Elvis asked you guys to come on the road with him after that? Yeah, he did. When we got through with the, with the album and we were having a playback party, more or less, uh, yeah, he wanted us to go, go on the road with him, and, and everybody turned him down. <laughs> uh, mainly because, uh, well, I enjoyed being home at night, so did everybody else, and we were working enough to not have to be on the road, you know. Oh, is this your appointment book from uh, from back then? Is that what that is? That's beautiful. I kept I kept books for um, to go back to 1965, I think, or four, and I've got every session I've ever done. Like I would write down the artist, and when I got paid, and if it was blank. I thought I'd look at it a month later. And, oh, there's a blank spot. What is that? Oh, I hadn't been paid on that. <laughs> so I'd notify them and get, to try to get paid, you know. I'm going to read this real quick for the folks listening to this right. at home. They might really enjoy this. This is uh, January 1969. I believe this is one day. There's a session in the morning, Merrily Rush at noon, Neil Diamond at 2 p.m., Elvis Presley. Oh, yeah. On throughout the day until 8 p.m. That's a pretty good day. <laughs> That's a good day, yeah. That's a good career for most people. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There was scale on there was, yeah, we got scale. But most of the time we did, that's for a three-hour session. Most of the time we did five-hour sessions to get scale and a piece of the record. So you get... Points on the after, on the yeah. Oh, wow. And one of the records we did that we got points on was uh, Sweet Caroline. But anyway, uh, what would happen, the artist or the producer would bring the artist in, the way we had that set up, uh, and they cut their best record, then go somewhere else and cut the album, you know. So we were we wound up losing money. But there used to be no time limit in Memphis years ago. If scale was sixty dollars, that's a long time ago. It would be fifteen dollars a song, and when we gathered up four songs, you could turn it into the union and clear it. I'm, I remember business studio one day, and uh, I saw a high record. Owner of Gold Wax Records walked in, and uh, Bobby M's piano player said, "Hey, his name's Doc Russell." He said. Hey, Doc, said, you got a song in the charts? And it was uh, Dark in the Street on James Carr. Yeah. And it was right up the charts. And the Bible said, you know, we hadn't been paid for that. <laughs> and, uh, so Doc kind of scratched his head and he said, well, well, 50, 15 cool with you, man. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, I had to take it. I needed the money, and Bobby, I think, kept his check. He wouldn't cash it. So at least I can mess their books up a little bit, you know. <laughs> when I went over to American, at least we got it to five-hour session. And then I was amazed when I came over here. Three-hour sessions, you did 15 minutes overtime, you got paid for it, you know. Boy, Nashville sure, sure was more professional than anything I ever did in Memphis. 
you know, it, Memphis is the only game in town when I left over there. Just never thought that you'd go anywhere else, you know. So, oh, I guess I better go along with this or I'll get fired or something, you know. Well, a lot of you guys ended up moving to Nashville. Yeah. Were people in Nashville yeah. aware of your body of work? Yeah, they were. Did they... Did anyone choose to have you guys do sessions together? So you That's amazing. No, they didn't. Buddy Kellen used some of us, but uh, whenever Chip's moment, he finally moved here, then he'd get us all back together and we'd cut, cut some stuff. Yeah, I did over, uh, maybe a year later over at Stacks Records. And he got over there, and uh, it wasn't the same thing because uh, he had all his entourage with him, and uh, I don't even think I even spoke to him. You know, like, hello, how are you doing? But he had all that crowd around him, and, uh, and he didn't come in until after midnight, and it, it wasn't uh, as friendly or as, you know, I, I just felt yeah. like I was stuck over there playing guitar somewhere. Felton said at one time he came in, I was yawning, and he said, oh, no yawning on the sessions before I was, before I was got there. I said, what? And he said, yeah, no yawning. I said, you're kidding. I said, it's 3 o'clock in the morning, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he said, no, it, said, it wouldn't look good for the king to see you yawning. You know? I said, okay. But he told everybody else that, too. How did you hear about Elvis's passing? I was working for Buddy Kellen at the sound shop. I forget who we were recording. Anyway, we was in the middle of a song, and a talkback came on, and uh, Buddy said, that we, we just got a phone call, and Elvis died. And uh, it was total silence. Everybody just put their stuff up, <laughs> left, and came on home, you know. Anyway, I almost love those songs. I mean, with Suspicious Minds wound up being a 40 million seller. <laughs> and in this little old funky place <laughs> with Elvis, who'd have thought it, you know? I really appreciate you inviting me into your home, and it's an honor to get to sit here and listen to your stories. Oh, wow. Well, come back anytime. Oh. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. I'd like to thank everybody for listening in, and I'd like to thank Reggie for inviting me over to his home in Leapers Fork, Tennessee. You can find out everything you need to know about Reggie at reggieyoung.org. If you'd like to help support this show, just go to otisgibbs.com and you can pick up a CD, a t-shirt. You can download any record I've ever made. You can buy one of my photographic prints. You can buy one of Amy's records. You can buy one of Amy's children's books. But anything that you buy, we'll mail from our living room to yours and we'll even put in a little thank you note. If you'd like to help out but you're a little short on cash, just go to iTunes and leave a five-star review. Leave a comment. Subscribe and you'll get a brand new episode free as soon as it's available. But if you enjoy this show, or you enjoy my music, or you enjoy Amy's music, 
Please take the time to tell a friend and help us spread the word. And if you'd like to send us a message, we'd love to hear from you. Just send it to info at otisgibbs.com. I'm Otis Gibbs. Thanks for giving a damn.